Welcome to Claim the Stage. This is our special bonus episode. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also a speaker, author, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women at speakersisterhood.com. And on today's episode, I bring my friend, Dr. Jolie Hamilton, back into the studio to talk about a really big subject that comes up a lot in my work. That subject is how to gain confidence to speak up. And in our conversation, we address things like why is speaking up so freaking hard? And how does one gain confidence to speak up? And we talk about our own journey in building confidence to speak up, where we're still working on things, and what to do when it goes wrong. You know, like when you say something you think and the person sitting across from you says something like, well, I don't agree, or you're wrong. What do you do then? So we get into all of that in today's episode, and we also talk more about our upcoming retreat, Rella, which is coming up in June, and the application window closes next Thursday, March 5th. So that's why we're talking about it right now, because if you are interested in applying to be part of it, we want to make sure you have all the information you need to join us. Now, before I jump into our conversation... I want to make sure you have all the information you need about who Dr. Jolie Hamilton is. Who is this dynamic woman? Well, she has a doctorate in depth psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute, where she specialized in Jungian and archetypal studies. She also earned a certificate in holistic sexuality education from the Institute for Sexuality Education and Enlightenment, where she is now faculty teaching intimacy, communication, theories of sexuality education, and kink awareness for new sex therapists and educators. She's also an ASECT board-certified sex educator and is currently the chair of the Continuing Education Committee for ASECT. She's also a professor of human sexuality, where she's constantly finding new ways to teach people how to lean into their curiosity about sex, love, and connection. So if you want to learn more about how to speak up in relationships and on stage, this episode is for you. Enjoy. I'm excited to welcome back conspirator, Dr. Jolie Hamilton, for today's bonus episode all about how to gain confidence in speaking up. This is a very popular subject in my world and also a very popular subject in Jolie's world. Am I mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't get what you don't ask for. Right. And we ask a question when new members enroll in Speaker Sisterhood, what brought you here? What do you want to learn? What's your goal? And one of the most common answers is to gain confidence in speaking up. And so we were talking about this yesterday and thought we should do an episode about this because it's such a broad topic, like speaking up in what context and with what goal in mind. And just to kind of get some more perspective on it from our various backgrounds and also to talk about some advice and tips on how to do it better. And then we'll talk a little bit more about our retreat and how that relates to speaking up. So let's get started with our conversation. And I thought we could start with a question that we could both answer. And that question is, why do you think speaking up is so hard? Julie, Mm. do you have any thoughts about that? Well, so as a self-professed extrovert and sayer of anything, um, I thought it was interesting when when we started talking about confidence and speaking up, my initial reaction was, oh great, I can talk about this from a place of expertise. But in fact, what it is, is that I struggle with talking up, speaking up in other areas, like in, in really sneaky areas that led me to think about it. I think that struggling with the confidence is, 
it's a great indicator of where it is that you're feeling old junk in your way, where you are tricking yourself with your, you know, using all your positive attributes to cover up for your, your less helpful ones. So I think it's hard because it's hard to relate to people on every single level. And it's hard to be ourselves 100% of the time. It's not always safe, right? So we have to know our context and understand that. And we have various levels of, of how safe we feel. And until we feel like we can, can trust ourselves in each context that we find ourselves in, there's always going to be spots where we're uncomfortable and don't want to speak up, don't want to ask the question. Yeah, I think those words, trust and safety, are consistent with what I've heard from members and also what I've experienced in my own life. And I think there's also that fear of rejection of what if yeah. I say something and the other person doesn't agree with me? Or right. what, if, what if I'm seen as dumb or wrong? Now yes. where does that leave me? Because if I don't say anything, then people don't maybe have any opinion of me. But once I say something, it could change everything. And I think there's also a fear of not being able to articulate what you want to say, which can yeah. also be really scary of, I know how I'm feeling and I know what I want to say, but I can't find the words. So I won't say anything. Yeah. And in this time where language is changing really quickly, language is always a living thing. But right now, say in issues of sexuality and orientation and all kinds of sensitive areas where we're making big strides socially, um, it can be nerve wracking. Do I have the right words? Am I saying the up-to-date language? Um, am, I, am I going to sound not just dumb, but maybe just out of date even? Maybe it's not a super big fear, but we can feel like we are out of touch. Uninformed. Um, uninformed, yeah, so quickly. The language changes, you know, every, every few months at least, there's some update, some change, and it happens slowly and all of a sudden you feel like yeah i don't know whether i can articulate this i don't know whether i can speak with confidence about this subject yeah we were having that conversation the other day when you were saying you are constantly taking courses to update yourself on topics around gender and yeah, yeah. i feel that way I, i'm often feeling like oh i didn't know that word existed yet i didn't <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know i didn't i don't even know what that word means i've never even heard that before so sometimes i feel like i'm not sure how to enter a conversation like that because I don't feel like I've done enough research or even have an understanding of where that conversation is at this point in time. Right. And there's this beautiful spot we get to, I think, especially in our, maybe, I find this to be a really like in your 30s moment where you realize how much you don't know, which is awesome. It's beautiful because from there you can learn so much faster and so much more. But it's also really disorienting. You start to be aware of how much there is to know and how, how uninformed you might be on certain topics. And all of a sudden, people who are just saying whatever they want, whatever comes to mind instantly, you, cr you notice that, you cringe inwardly, like, ooh, did they mean to say that? Did they so, so our inner judge can wake up. And that, that judgment, that discernment is helpful. It helps us stay up to date and it helps us make good choices for ourselves. But yeah, but then it also gets in our way too. And we can become just overwhelmed with the possibilities and, and just stop and engaging in whole types of conversation. I know so many people who've stopped engaging in anything even remotely gender oriented because they're terrified that they'll mess up. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a place for, for courage, for bravery, and for being okay with being 
I guess long is the, is the word I would use there, but really just being uninformed and, and learning something new, yeah. making space for that. Yeah. I guess there's also that concern that you're offending somebody because you yeah. don't know how to enter the conversation. Yeah. And as we go into this conversation, we're going to share more tips on what to do when that feeling of judgment comes up. So if you're feeling worried right now, don't worry, we're not going to leave you there. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so the next question then is how does one gain confidence to speak up? If you're having all of those feelings of, I don't know how to enter this conversation, I don't want to be rejected by this person, or I don't want to stand on stage and make a fool of myself, how does one gain confidence? So for me, that starts with questioning. Falling back on asking myself a bunch of questions or asking the people I'm talking with a bunch of questions. So I don't think it's possible to teach without asking questions. That's just what I do. Um, so I don't need to know everything in order to stand up and speak with care in front of people if I'm coming from that curiosity place um, and not coming from a, a pedantic, I have the information and I'm going to transfer to you place. So staying with that question, staying in the, in the idea that we're co-creating our reality with everybody who we're sharing space with, lets me relax and remember that it's okay, even if I am in the position of teacher or guide in that moment, it's okay to not know everything. That gives me courage. Yeah, that takes a lot of pressure off of having to be an expert too, which I think a lot of our listeners feel the need to have to be in order to stand in front of a room or write a yeah. blog post or have a podcast on a subject. Yeah. So that idea of co-creation feels a lot more comfy. And yeah. Human. How do you do it? What do you What do you do? What's your go-to move? Um, well, I like to practice with safe people first. And I'll mm. often run ideas by friends and people that I trust and know and like therapists and say like, well, what do you think of this? And does this sound crazy? And once I get some sort of validation or I say the words out loud and realize, oh, this doesn't sound as scary outside of my mind than it, as it did inside my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it helps a lot. And I think that there's some element of not really trusting myself enough to, to just jump out and do it without first running it by my counsel. <laughs> right. But, but it's, it's a step that I like to take because it also helps me work stuff out before I jump into a bigger platform or say it to the world and without realizing, does this even add up or does this make sense to anyone outside of my world, you know, in my world yeah. being my mind? <laughs> yeah. You know, I use a similar technique too when I don't have access to people who, like they're not the right, um, they're not the right audience. I, they won't, they won't have that ability. So when I'm talking about, say, depth psychology, sometimes I just don't have access to people who have the same background. So I'm going to be presenting in a conference or something, and it's hard to find that practice space. Um, and in that case, I create I create a little council for myself. I'll, I'll like set up a bunch of stuffed animals. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, and I'll put little names in front of them. I'm like, I'm going to imagine that these are the people, you know, they're people who I have relied on for that advice, but maybe they're not available in that moment. Some of my favorite professors or, you know, authors I really look up to. And I let myself imagine into it really fully. And it, I can feel them. I can feel their questions. I, when you've listened to someone and you trust them, you know what questions they're going to ask of you. And um, so, so when I do that, I, I don't even need to, to find my audience literally, which means it's great. I can do it anytime. Um, Steven Eisenstadt 
it does sort of this interesting thing called a dream council. So I think of it as like a speaking council mm. in my practice. So this is like, what would Jesus do? But it's what would your professor or your... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think another great place to start to practice speaking up is a speaker sisterhood meeting because yeah. it is like having a council and a trusted community and a place where you go every other week and you see the same people and you get to know their personality and you start to trust them so you can show up and say hey I've never told anybody this before but I'm going to share it here today and then you get some support and you get some feedback and you realize oh that's maybe not as scary as I thought and people do still appreciate me and support me through that yeah and that's huge it is I think I've I practiced my four biggest scariest stories that needed to be told all got practiced in front of speaker sisterhood groups and I can't imagine not having had that. It made me so much more confident. Yeah, and you're still alive. And I, I survived. No, not only that, I got hugs afterwards. So <laughs> winning all around. <laughs> totally. What role, if any, do you think community or outside support plays in building confidence? And I mean on a bigger level mm. than your close friends, professors, yeah. speaker sisterhood. Well, I think that we never... We never speak outside. We can't step outside of our experience in the human community. You know, we, we can't step outside of that. So the fact that there exists this, um, this general idea of the people, the people who might judge me, the people who might not like me, the people who might not accept me, we can't, we can't pretend that doesn't exist. And I, I don't think it's even helpful to. So I think that, well, recently when I was preparing for the TEDx, I realized that because of my subject matter, some people were really not going to be happy with my talk. That was just, it was built in. And that was actually freeing. When I realized that it was built in, that I was absolutely going to irritate a few people at least, um, I stopped needing to worry about what everyone thought. And I could actually be human again. I didn't need to be perfect. I didn't need to be, um, I, I needed to be, to be an expert. It was my research I was sharing, but I didn't need to be the expert. I was one expert sharing an opinion with my larger community. And, and I don't even know who, because that kind of talk goes out to the world. Who knows? Maybe I really irritated people. But it's okay, because in the context of being a human, yeah, that's, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say my experience is similar. And I remember reading a quote or maybe hearing it at a retreat years ago, what other people think of you is none of your business. Yeah, I wrote it down on a post-it and I hung it on my bathroom mirror and I would look at it every day. And some days it would make me really angry because I would think like, well, why isn't it my business? I want to know what they think of me. And then other days I'd feel really empowered by it and think like, yeah, whatever I do is, it's, it's my life and I can make my choices. And if other people don't like it, that's okay. And I've, I have come to realize that we do have a tribe, a bigger tribe than we maybe interact with daily. It's the people who have similar viewpoints or the people who, you know, will have a like-minded approach to life that maybe they're always growing and always learning and they enjoy different perspectives and they appreciate being challenged. And I get excited when those people find me or I find them because you can, you can sense that connection right away. Yeah. And when you realize like, oh, there's a whole broader group of people out there who think like me and I don't, I may not know who they are and they may not know me, but we're somehow like raising the vibration or we're somehow helping each other by just being ourselves in the world. 
and that helps to remind me that I don't have to be liked by everybody. And that helps with speaking up because I might say something that's not popular or appreciated or is contradictory to the person sitting in front of me, but that's okay. Yeah, I'd go even further. You may say something that hurts someone at some point. We're not going to go through this world without incidentally banging up against people. And what we do with that is probably our best opportunity to become more intimate with the world, you know, like coming to terms with the fact that we don't get along with everyone and then being able to appreciate their humanity anyways, that's next level love. It's awesome. But then one step beyond that is realizing that you're not abandoned because that person doesn't agree with you. I think that's life-changing. Yeah. That's the part that really matters. And I think that reinforcement is what helps to build that confidence and trust and safety that you can't get if you don't speak up because you're never able to build that stronger connection. Yeah. It's easy to hide. Um, like at face value, it looks easy to hide, but it comes at a huge cost. I don't think it's, it's not easy on you. It's easy in a, in any given moment, it might be a little easier to, to stay quiet, but the overall, um, effect, the impact is so much more intense. It's, it's not really being alive in a bunch of ways. And there are moments when we can be quiet, but if we're quiet all the time or most of the time, or in a, or maybe we're, we're bold in one part of our life, but we're completely silent in another. Yeah. Our viewpoint is missing. It's, it's a loss for the world. It's a loss for us. Mm-hmm. What other things do you think we miss out on by not speaking up? I think we miss out on the fact that a lot of people are invested in our happiness. In fact, a lot. I am always surprised at how many people are cheering me on. You know, when I do, when I accomplish something um, and the people who high five me or give me a hug or say something positive, I'm shocked. And I wouldn't know that if I didn't, if I didn't share. And when I'm saying something challenging and I'm met with challenge or when I return my coffee because it wasn't made correctly and I engage in that in a, in a positive way, my connections always get deeper. So there's a huge opportunity there. I literally did that yesterday. My coffee was made a little bit off for me. I have this particular drink that I like. I love the way it's made. Um, And I even know the exact grams that go into it. (laughs) Um, And it was a little off. And when I brought it back, rather than just order another one, I brought it back a couple hours later, actually. And I just said, hey, I don't don't think it was quite right. Can we talk about the exact amount? And what happened was I I had this whole dialogue with my barista, like about about what my choices might be instead. And that's that's how I make my community. This is a person who lives in my town and I get to see every day. And now I know them a little bit better and they know me and my picky attitudes a lot better. <laughs> but it was a really generative conversation, even though I was you know, literally returning food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how have you built the confidence to speak up? What have you done? I built it in two distinct phases. One was as a teenager, realizing that, um, that my only option to, to, to become who I wanted to be was to say everything I needed to, right? And I, and I was really bold about it. I would challenge teachers. I would challenge my ministers. I would engage in complicated conversations with my parents and my friends. And then 
well, I, I developed a routine for that and I, and I was known for it. So that was actually really easy. That was phase one. And it was easy because I, it was like I, I made the decision sometime when I was 13 or 14 to do that. And I just leaned into it. And I leaned into it hard until I was in my mid thirties. And then it all came crashing down. And I had the terrible news delivered to me that I had essentially alienated most of my friends. They didn't like me. They didn't want to spend time with me. And I got dumped. I was, I, I was on the outs. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. But it led into phase two, where I sort of reinvented this bold speak up attitude that I had to include pausing, giving myself time. And I think I heard, uh, I want, I'm not sure. I just heard this quote somewhere. It's, I learned tact. I learned that saying something without tact was cruelty. And I think that was some famous person's therapist said it out loud. And I, I don't know, it's not like nobody had ever told me, but rebuilding myself to be able to say those hard things with, with care and always directed at a, another human, um, that gave me confidence again. So I was completely shaken right down to the core where I was hiding all of myself. And I rebuilt in this really slow manner. It took years and years <laughs> to gain the confidence to say um, anything really that was controversial at all. and. Um, but I think I, I do it now with care. And I also do it understanding that if, if I upset someone, I have the tools to repair that relationship right then on the spot. So that's the other thing I did. I learned what to do when it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And what that was it, hard. What did it feel like when you first started speaking up? The first time or the second time? <laughs> Well, I guess the first 10 times, I mean, was it very different for you? Yeah. When I, when I, when I was in my phase two, trying to figure out how to speak up again, um, the, the level of terror was like, I've heard people describe, you know, wanting to crash their cars when they found a spider inside of them, you know, like just total terror. And I don't have any of that kind of panic in my life for physical things. It was like that. I, I shook my way in. However, the speaking itself, the speaking was what carried me. Like I'd open my mouth and let the words come. And it was a little bit more like engaging in um, a, a song or dance or something. Just let the words come out and trust that they would be heard with some grace, with, with some room for me to be wrong. And that would be okay. That was super, super hard. And it got easy really, really quick after that. It, it was just the first few times, like making my way back to, <laughs> to saying whatever needed to be said. Yeah. And then it was done and I was back. Yeah. That giving yourself permission to be okay with whatever happens, like yeah. being wrong is huge. Yeah. I think that can't be overstated. That's a big yeah. I was just terrified to hurt other people. Yeah. I was so afraid that I would hurt someone again. And that then I, I would, I would keep being in this cycle of not, not meeting people where they were. And it was just, um, it was, it was not who I wanted to be in the world, but it, in fact, I had repaired that. And then I needed to figure out how to, well, really just tear the bandaid off and say the things. And Speaker Sisterhood was a great place to do that because the curriculum held me enough. You know, I, I could talk for five or six minutes on this particular topic, 
and I didn't have it. It didn't have to be the most vulnerable thing. It could be just vulnerable enough for where I was at. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, for me, finding the confidence to speak up came by, I guess, professional demands and wanting to progress in my career and realizing that if I never spoke at work, how would I ever get promoted? And how would I ever be able to advocate for myself to get a raise or just have ideas heard? And that was very scary to me. So my desire to have a voice wasn't really about having better relationships. It was about being able to progress and like, I don't know, make something of myself. Yeah. And so I practiced in a place where I was told it was okay to fail. I went to Toastmasters and I spent five years showing up completely terrified. Just, it's so funny that you use the same word of terrified. Like I was so terrified. I would cry on the way to meetings saying Mm. to myself the whole way there, what are you doing right now? (laughs) Why are you doing this to yourself? What's wrong with you? Just a little base jumping. That's all. Just, that's all. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm driving to my death every other Monday. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then I, I, what was always going through my head is I would be wondering if this was going to the, be the meeting when everyone said, okay, Angela, you were fine up until this point, but now you have to go. Like you've said too much. We don't yes. really care about this anymore or what you have to say. And I kept feeling like at some point they're going to tell me to stop coming. And I just had this story that like whatever I was saying didn't matter. So why was I putting everyone through that? And it took me five years to finally start to feel like, oh, maybe I do have something to say. And it was like hundreds of hours of speaking. And that was starting in 2006. And now it's 2020. It's 14 years later. And I'm like, oh, I can get up on stage and speak. But it's taken like the 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell talks about to finally feel like proficient and feel like, oh, I can do this. And if something goes wrong, I'm not going to die. And that has been it's been a process like of continually showing up, even when I feel like maybe this, maybe I don't know what I'm doing, or maybe this isn't going to go well, but I won't know unless I try it. And I'm trying to bring that same perspective into my personal relationships where I feel like sometimes I haven't taken that opportunity to speak up. And even though I feel proficient as a public speaker, uh, the other side of my life of being able to be an interpersonal communication and relationships has suffered a little bit because I haven't brought that skill set over as much as I, I could have or could be. So I'm continually working on that now. Yeah. And it's different. You're risking a different set part of yourself in that intimate conversation, that one-to-one, these are my people, this is my person, you know, you're risking something else. And I don't think it's possible to prepare quite the same way. You know, you, if you're going to give a speech on stage, there is a, I mean, you walked me through it. There's, there's a method. There's a way that you can prepare and be ready for things that go wrong. People have tested these things over and over again. There are similar techniques to use for intimate conversations, but they are so rarely taught or talked about that most of us just flail around making the same critical errors over and over and over again. Just, just saying, using the same words, the same phrases, over and over and over again and wondering why we're not getting better results. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited about our retreat because we're going to talk about all of that and it's going to go into more of the, the stuff that doesn't get talked about. Like you said, like really getting into how, how relationships can go wrong and how can they, they can go right. So we'll talk about that more as the episode goes on, but 
I'm wondering if there are situations when you feel less confident about speaking up at this point, and if so, how do you build the courage to do it? Yeah, the place where I'm, I think I have been struggling is to speak up when I am face-to-face with someone who has more years in my professional field, and and I've just put on my my doctor suit, right? <laughs> I'm 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 fresh into the field from that perspective. Now, on the other hand, I've been studying this for eight years, and um, the amount of knowledge I've crammed in my head is phenomenal. But in that moment, you know, asking the question of the of the well um, <laughs> the well situated expert that is hard. It's I don't know that the fear ever goes away about, I'm going to ask a stupid question, right? How many thousands of times can we hear? There's no stupid question. And yet, boy, it sure feels like there are, especially when we're in a formal atmosphere. So for me at a conference, when there's somebody that I really, really appreciate speaking, and I'm like, I have the chance to ask them a question now. But what if I feel silly? What if I ask something just so stupid? Right? That's hard. Mm -hmm. That's hard. <laughs> like I said, I think I I still feel less confident about speaking up in relationships, and so I'm trying to notice when I feel uncomfortable and notice what that discomfort is telling me. And is it that I have a fear that this person isn't going to love me because of what I'm about, what I'm about to say, or is it that I'm afraid that what I'm about to say could jeopardize the future of our relationship or the way this person sees me? and whatever perception I think they have of me. And then I try to still say the thing because what I've noticed is that when I say the thing, nothing really changes. It's not like, oh, well now you're a horrible person because you asked that question. <laughs> we really didn't want you to ask that question. Right, that was it. That was one step too far and now it's over, right? Yeah. Yeah, and pretending that there are hard lines around what we can do and say is, it's so strange. I've never actually seen it happen, mm -hmm. but, I hear it. I hear the the tentativeness in people's voice, the unwillingness to say the the real thing, the yeah. thing that really needs to be said. Yeah. And when I can get myself to do it, I feel so relieved. And I also yeah. realize it's not that big of a deal. It's really yeah. not. It's true. So but sometimes you have to sacrifice where you are. Like you have to sacrifice this tiny little ice block that you're standing on floating in the ocean in order to stand on solid ground again. But the, the ice blocks feels really safe at the time. You're like, oh, there's just terrifying water all around me. If I just don't move, it'll be fine. But in fact, all you have to do is step across the ocean onto dry land and everything's fine. You, yeah. You're yourself again. Well, I guess that we should talk about what happens if it's not fine. Yeah. What Sometimes it won't be. Yeah. That's true. Where do we go from there? I think it depends on the context because when, like, so my issue, we have like this, uh, we have this mirror situation. In a professional situation, um, well, my partner taught me something fantastic to do. When, if I've asked a question and I get, um, and I am, I am explained to in a condescending manner afterwards, he taught me to simply return it to the sender. Just simply respond with thank you and remember that that had absolutely nothing to do with me and move on to the next moment because it's not a context where you can have a debriefing. You can't do anything. Um, it, it's almost, it's so simple. That was completely about them. End of story. Um, go home and then throw rocks and some water if you need to or whatever, but it, it doesn't matter. On the other hand, <laughs> 
if it goes badly in an interpersonal way, if you're having that, um, those big conversations and your words are poorly received, I think there are at least a couple ways that they can be badly received, right? You're, you volunteer yourself. And if you're asking for something and you're met with just nothing, no engagement, that feels one way. But if you're met with hostility, that feels very different. The, and how we deal with those moments will have a lot to do with what our inner resources are. What do we have to rely on now? So one of the things I always tell people is if you are going to be vulnerable with someone that you think there is a genuine risk that they won't be able to hold space for this new conversation, um, don't do it after dark. <laughs> you know, do that, have that conversation during light, light hours. Um, set yourself up for success by making sure you're not hungry, angry, lonely, or tired first. So, and, and to the best of your ability, make sure that that's true. I will literally put snacks out on a table if I'm going to have a hard conversation with someone because starting off hungry, angry, lonely, or tired is just, you're just dooming the conversation in one way or another. And, um, and so that's just setting up for success. But then if it doesn't go well, um, the, the Gottmans have a great technique that where they, they just talk about, okay, you can always ask for a timeout. Basically, you can always say, Hey, I, I need to process what's happening now, how this conversation has gone. You can always stop a conversation and, and it's your responsibility to, if you're flooded with emotion or your partner's flooded with emotion, go ahead and stop. But at that same time, tell them when you'll be back. It can't be this thing you're holding over each other's heads. Say when you're going to come back to the conversation. If you need 20 minutes to regather yourself, say, I'll be back in 20 minutes. If you don't think that you can deal with this until after you've talked to your therapist, then say, I'm going to need to wait until Tuesday to have this conversation again. Is there some way that we could move forward and just and put a pin in it? And sometimes I'll even jot that down. I'll, I'll write it down. Like, we're going to talk about this and I'll put it on a sticky note and I'll put it right on the calendar. And that's a reminder. And it's also a promise. It's a promise to my relationship that I'm not abandoning this issue, that I'm, that we're going to cycle back to it when, when everybody's better resourced. Those are great tips, especially hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. I yeah, halt. Totally... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's really helpful. And it, I mean, that works with toddlers too. You, you see a tantrum, you know, first step, are they hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? You can cut off a lot of the fights you have with your, with your teenagers too. If, if you check in about that, because if, if that, if one of those is getting in the way, then you're not even, you're not actually conversing. You're not, you're not just, you don't need just courage there. You need courage to stop too and address the, the basic needs. So do that with any living thing you're saying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I have sensitive plants, my pilia, definitely. I have to water them before I talk to them for sure. <laughs> gotcha. So let's talk about speaking up in context of relationships as we have been, but more specifically, why is speaking up in relationships so important? Yeah, well, we often partner ourselves with people who um, are, they're, they're wonderful teaching opportunities for us, learning opportunities for us. Um, however, we do that. And I, I think our, our psyche, our soul is like, it's looking for something. It wants to learn this lesson. However, that lesson is generally something um, big, something enormous, 
something overwhelming, like how to feel safe or, um, or how to deal with someone who reminds me of my parent. Yeah, you know, these are like these, these core wounds that we have, these great big ouchies. We get into our, our intimate relationships and all this stuff comes up and it, it's, it haunts us. And then we repeat, we get locked in these cycles where we're just communicating the same old pattern. We just say, we'll even say the same words over and over and over again. All, it's not consciously intentional, but it feels familiar. And familiar often feels more like love than, than nice and good and kind and generous and, and holding feels like love. Let me say that again differently. It's really easy to look for, to, to communicate with our partners in ways that are old and familiar, even if they're painful. And it's really hard to break those patterns. It's not impossible, but it's hard to break those patterns because we have to be willing to try new things. We have to be, we have to be willing to fall down, to make mistakes, to say the wrong thing, um, to misrepresent ourselves accidentally. And that is big and scary because most of us in this culture have siloed ourselves. There's just, you know, two people in a relationship and that's fine. But then we're, we also like, we close ourselves off in these tight little boxes where we only show our most vulnerable selves to, to that person. Or may, maybe we have a best friend too. So maybe there are two people in our lives who get to see those vulnerable parts of ourselves how many of us really engage in a bunch of relationships where we're super vulnerable? It's just not a supported way of conversing in our culture currently. And so it makes it really hard to be confident that it'll all work out. We're putting a lot of faith and, and vulnerability in this one other person. They, don't, they may not have the skill set to meet us where we need them to. And that's hard. How do you know when you're in an old and familiar habit or communication style? Yeah, I think that the, that's a, that's a big question, but it's a big question. Yeah. So that is definitely something we're going to address on the weekend. But one of the ways is start looking for the words you repeat all the time. So most of us have the same fight or same couple of fights over and over and over and over again. We just keep repeating these same fights. So I, rather than look for just the fight, I'll look for the words in the fight that I use over and over again. Um, along a while back in the relationship I'm, I'm, I'm in most of the time now, um, the, the place I spend most of my time, I noticed that I would say the word safe. And I would say it in all kinds of contexts. I would say it in a million different ways. I would say safe, safe, safe. And what I was talking about was a, a basic core sense of safety that no other person could give me. They could provide me, um, security in in some ways but not they couldn't make me feel different and when i noticed that safe was coming up for me i just started paying attention to it and i didn't try to do anything about it i didn't try to change it right away just started noticing that clearly there was something for me around the word safe around feeling safe and that my partner wasn't going to be able to fix that i needed to get in and do the heavy lifting um, and that's when I turned to other resources, my analyst, my therapist, um, books. I lean on books really heavily for that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so finding your keywords. And then um, also, if you have a trusted friend 
who's observing you from just a little bit more distance than your in most intimate relationship, listen to them. They're probably telling you. Um, they're probably trying to help you by saying like, hey, a friend I had a long time ago very clearly told me that she felt I was being mean to my partner. And I knew what she meant. It was really hard to hear. And it took another mm, seven years to unlearn that habit. <laughs> seven years and a different partner <laughs> to unlearn what she was talking about when she was saying, hey, I think you're being mean. She was right. She was right. It was not a one-way street. It was a complicated issue. There was all kinds of layers to the mess. But believing her led me to follow up with that and entertain the idea that if I wasn't perfect, then there was something I could do to change my relationships. And it has, it's changed all of my relationships. It took years of, of consciousness and, and, and acting differently and making tiny baby steps. But I had to believe her. I always tell my kids now, there's seven of them. So I say, so if, you're, if your siblings, when you're grown up, if they tell you that you're just doing this same thing over and over again, believe them. You know, like, li listen, you don't have to believe them wholeheartedly. It doesn't have to be everything, but take that, take that piece, that nugget and see what, see whether it resonates. Because sometimes it does. Sometimes they're seeing something from the outside you can't see. Yeah. I think sometimes it's helpful to ask for feedback if you're not getting any feedback yeah. and you're looking for another perspective. I know sometimes I feel like I, I can't see what I'm trying to see, but someone else probably can. Yeah. And they may not volunteer that information, but if I go and ask them, they're you know often interested in telling me. Yeah, so that's absolutely. Good Especially if you're, you're in a position of expert a lot, right? You, yeah. You're in that spot. People may stop approaching you with those things. So asking, yeah, it's courageous, but it's also, um, it's a shortcut. <laughs> Why take a long wandering path if you could just shortcut and actually get to the work? That's true. It is. It's so, so helpful. Um, what's one thing that listeners could do today to start speaking up more in their relationships? Practice with something small. If you have a if you have a pet peeve, you have something, it's not the biggest deal in the whole world, but you know, the, the, this small thing that you want to be different in your life, you want the, um, you want the dinner menus to be made on a certain time, or you wish that your partner would put the eggs on this shelf instead of that one. Practice saying that in a really safe environment, like set up, like it's going to be this huge conversation, <laughs> you know, practice your setup for that. So you're going to make sure you're not hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. You're going to make sure that you're in a daylight hours setting and, and then you're going to say clearly what you'd like to be different and how, how wonderful that would make you feel if they're, and then you're going to ask them if they, if they could make some movement on this. And it, I'm saying start small because if we start right off with like, I would like my sex life to be different. It may be too much. It's nice to have practiced a couple things. And then jump into the bedroom stuff. Then jump into the great big, oh my gosh, I want my in-law situation to be different. Like, <laughs> practice with the eggs. <laughs> a good idea. Is there anything else you want to add before we talk more about the retreat? Well, the last thing I would add is um, that the other big thing I see coming up when people are suffering from a crisis of confidence in their relationships is martyrdom. They will suck it up, right? They'll, they'll just say, I can deal with all of this I will take all the burden of holding all, holding all of this back 
I will keep it all inside. And they use it to puff themselves up. It's a, it's a way, it leads into your grandiosity, right? You, I can handle all of this rather than talking about it. So I mention it because it's a, it's a little bit next level. It's noticing where you're getting some gratification from holding yourself back, from saying, I, I'm a good person because I'm not saying these things. I've heard the advice that marriages are made or break broken on the two or three things we don't say each day. And I think there is some strength to that, absolutely. But if those same things, like if that is the same loop all the time and it's not small stuff, it's how you wanna live your life, it's worth considering whether you're martyring yourself because that's the pattern you were taught when you were a child and that's still what you're living out. So that's a, that's a big issue. We'll definitely get into some archetypes that are holding us back, some archetypal patterns that we get caught in um, on the weekend. And um, there's so much more we could do with that. Yeah, absolutely. So if this conversation is interesting to you and you're getting a lot of value from it, definitely keep listening to the rest of this episode because we're going to share more about how you can learn more about building confidence and speaking up. If you're bored to death and you feel like, I just want this to be over, feel free to stop listening now. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to want everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're going to release you from this. You can go have lunch or something. And we're going to talk a little bit more about our retreat, which we called Brella, which is an acronym for really exciting love adventure. And it's a weekend in the woods. We're not literally going to be in the woods. We'll be in a house in the woods, but you know, it's in a wooded area. So don't worry, you're not going to be like sleeping in a tree or something. And we're, we're getting together with a small group of women to explore relationships. And we want to do it in a fun way, in a relaxed way, and a way that brings us together and helps us to see things we might not see otherwise. And we're doing it together because Julie and I have different backgrounds that complement each other in a way that could be really powerful for this type of experience or adventure. Because I have a background in curriculum building and speaking and community building and storytelling. And Jolie has a background in relationship coaching and teaching and also curriculum building and community building. And so we can kind of put it all together to build something really um, important and also just exciting for everyone who joins us that weekend. You want to talk more about it, Jolie? Well, I'm super, I am excited. When you suggested the name Rella, and then you, and then you said what it was, what it stood for. I'm like, yeah, that's it. I am really excited because I have seen the biggest changes in my clients' lives when they decide that they're willing and ready to dig into the stories that they've been telling themselves about who they are in relationship, and then realize that they can, they can reinvent, they can reimagine, they can rewrite. Those stories are not fixed. They were never carved in stone. And even if they were, we could smash those stones and write it on something new. So I'm super excited about the idea of giving people a chance to play with possibilities. Rather than explain, I'm not gonna flatten the world out for you. I'm not gonna explain how relationships are supposed to be. Instead, we're gonna play with what possibilities exist for you in your context. Because everybody's going to walk in with their own story and their own imagination of what they'd like next. A lot of space. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about if I was, if I were going to attend this as a participant and not a facilitator of it, what would I be excited about learning? And I thought just having that space that's set aside for me and other women who are interested in the same topic and exploring it together and talking about it from my experience and then hearing other women's experience in a place where we don't have to um, 
censor ourselves or worry about like what we talked about at the beginning of the episode being rejected or being wrong or being bad because we're really going to create that space where it's like hey whatever we say is our experience and that's okay and I would also be excited about just like digging into the stories I tell myself about love and relationships and what I deserve and rewriting those stories so I can leave with a new perspective of what's possible for me. And those are some of the things that we're, we've been talking about so much as we had come up with this idea. It's like, we want to make sure that that love story that we, we think is all we're, I don't know, that we have conjured from our childhood or that we've been kind of like adhering to doesn't have to be the only love story. There can be a better one or a different one or one that feels more fulfilling and loving. And there'll be a chance to rewrite it and present it. And I think that's so exciting because when you can say the words out loud to a group, it starts to give the words more power and they mean more. And that's like the speaker sisterhood element of this retreat. I was, (laughs) you just reminded me of the fact that um, so I just defended my, my doctoral dissertation. So Ooh. yay. And how I got there was, um, nine years ago, nine years and like four months ago, I stood in front of a, a room full of about 65 women and they were all in a big circle and we were asked to come out to the center of the circle and say what we were leaving that weekend to do. And I said, I am leaving to enroll in my graduate program. I have to get my bachelor's degree first, then I can do a master's degree, then I can get a PhD, and that's where I'm going, and I'm gonna, it's gonna be in this topic. <sighs> and now it's done. Oh my God, I just got chills, like crazy yeah. chills. Oh, that was, that's exciting. I didn't know and, that story. No, I mean, I, I don't think about it until, but some of those people are on my Facebook. Some of those people, um, one of those people is actually coming to the weekend. They've already applied, yeah. And they stood witness for me, which meant when I doubted that I could do it, I could envision this circle of people who I had said, I'm gonna change this. My story doesn't have to be that I don't have an education. My story doesn't have to be that I'm living small. And my story doesn't have to be that just because I don't know how to do it here that I won't ever know how and so I just one step at a time, but it was saying it. I mean, I think I spoke like three sentences. That's it. And it changed everything, wow. everything that came after. Yeah. And we should mention that we've talked a lot about how to support everyone who goes to the retreat after the weekend is over. Like you, didn't, oh, you yeah. don't just fall off a cliff. We want to keep in touch and figure out ways to, to help and support each other, whether it's through, a, um, you know, calls or a Facebook group or something. So we're going to be open to discussing what, what, how that will look and how that will work because that piece of staying connected is so important. Yeah, and I, I have a policy of when people work with me, they, they, uh, they're always going to be in a relationship with me. Because the thing is, they, they begin to live in me as well. You all become figures in me. So I think it's silly to draw, um, draw lines around that. So yeah, there'll definitely be access um, to me in the future because this is, this is a, it's a step. You're not going to go home and, you know, turn over tables and, and, <laughs> and smash your life into bits. I may have been known to do that occasionally, <laughs> but I don't recommend it in general. And uh, so we, there can be a more moderated pace and you okay. won't be, you won't be dropped off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share about the weekend or anything on the subject before? We- I just can't wait to see who wants to come explore this. Yeah. It really is an adventure. So 
Yeah, as the applications are rolling in, I keep texting Jolie and being like, oh my God, you got to read this versus application. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> I'm in love it with is. everybody. Yeah, it's really, really cool to see um, just what everyone's saying and to see how we're going to talk about this. And yeah, it's, it's going to be co-created and a lot of fun. So if you want to learn more about it, go to speakersisterhood.com forward slash Rella, and I'll put the link in the show notes so you can access it. The application window closes next Thursday, March 5th at the end of the day. So if you're, if you're thinking about checking it out, but you're not sure, just fill out the application and then Jolie will give you a call and you can have a chat about, you know, what, what's, what's on your mind, questions you have, and we're happy to address those questions and yes. see if it's a good fit. So don't feel like by filling out an application, you're locked in and that means you have to show up. And by the way, the retreat is June 11th to the 14th and it's taking place in Western Massachusetts. And we're, we're doing this application period early now, you know, in February and March, because we want to make sure that we're giving everyone a heads up on the time in their life that they might need to set aside in order to do this. And we know everyone's busy and a lot of you are planners and this gives you a chance to carve out that time for yourself that you may not otherwise. So please take a take a look at the website and if it sounds good to you, then um, we look forward to hearing from you and yeah. hopefully we'll, we'll all be together in June. Fantastic. Yay. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank you. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And if our retreat sounds exciting or scary or like your palms are sweating, thinking about it, definitely check it out. I think it's going to be a life-changing experience. And I know that's, that's putting a lot, you know, it's just putting a lot of, uh, I don't know, power into one weekend, but the way we're designing it, we feel like it's going to it's going to move the needle, you know? <laughs> so you can check it out at speakersisterhood.com forward slash Rella to get more information and apply. And hopefully we'll hear from you and we'll give you a call and see if it's a good match for what you're looking for. All right. Well, everybody, that does it for me this week. We have another episode coming next week as this is just our bonus episode, but I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time. <laughs>